Hello everyone. After our summer break, the European Student Think Tank is back with the new season of its podcast. My name is Victoria. And this is Florentin. Today we are joined by Pauline Oléon, who is an international officer at EST. Welcome, Pauline. Hello. So what we are going to discuss today is the treatment of minorities in Central and Eastern Europe. First of all, tell us something about you and something about this topic. What constitutes a minority and what is the approach of the EU towards them? So as you said, I'm Pauline. I'm an international officer at the EST and I'm currently studying my master's degree in media and communication in Charles University in Prague. So concerning our topic today, officially, the European Union defines minority as a non-dominant group, which is numerically less than the majority population of a state regarding the ethnic, religious or linguistic characteristic, and who maintains solidarity with their own culture. So as you can see, the definition of the minority can vary from one country to another. In other words, a national minority is any community that does not correspond to the traditional societal canon of the country in which they belong. For instance, Welsh speakers are considered a minority in the UK, the Armenians in Turkey, or the Roma pretty much everywhere in Europe. All these groups, and much more have, and still do, face discrimination from bigger nations for trying to keep their tradition and language alive. Armenians, for example, were victims of a genocide in the early 20th century, which the Turkish government still refuses to acknowledge. As you just mentioned, throughout history, Minorities have often been the target of ethnic cleansing campaigns, mistreated, or marginalized. Yet, what has been the catalyst of such hate? And also, how has their status evolved through the years and across states and institutions? It is very complicated to answer this question, as you can imagine, and it would take way too long, so I try to keep it as short as I can. First of all, we must face the fact that each country has at least once in its history targeted a community and has used it as a scapegoat in time of crisis, such as the Jews in the early 20th century or more recently the migrants since 2008. It's common behavior for humans to look for someone to blame when we are going through hardship. It's easy to target a minority group. They do not fit in our society standards and they are outnumbered. So such targets make sense for politicians looking to polarize the population as we tend to fear what we are not really familiar with. In reality, the issue of the protection of minorities is relatively recent. The first treaty to mention it was that of Vienna in 1814, and it was actually a total failure as none of the parties ever managed to agree on the content. Through history, several attempts were made during the 19th century in particular to come up with a treaty protecting minorities, and in particular the Jews, but none of them were ever successful. We have seen this also reflecting in the events of the Second World War, or the Holocaust, a horrible side of Europe's history, which ultimately, however, allowed that what will go on to form the United Nations to realize the importance that had to be given to the protection of minorities. In 1948, the Convention for the Prevention and Punishment of Crime of Genocide was approved, followed by, in 1953, the European Convention for Human Rights which was approved and signed by country from both the Eastern Bloc and the Western Bloc, actually bringing what would seem to be a period of relative peace and security for ethnic minorities. But things took a different turn in 1989, the year marked not only by the fall of the Berlin Wall, but also by growing tension in Yugoslavia, leading to persecution toward the Albanian and Roma community in particular. 
which was soon followed in Bosnia and Herzegovina by the Srebrenica massacre in 1995. Even today, those responsible for those massacres are still judged by the International Court in The Hague. Actually, let's focus on this specific period a little bit more. Both these events have undoubtedly influenced the European Union and the international community, creating a basis for more laws to be put in place and a stricter protection and recognition of minority rights. Tell us a bit more about this. Yes, absolutely. Although it has never been officially said, we can consider that the war in Yugoslavia and the crimes committed led to the creation of the Framework Convention for the Protection of National Minorities. This last convention is a milestone because unlike other treaties until then, it legally binds the signatories to the protection of national minorities. The Framework Convention sets out the principle to be observed as well as the objective to be achieved by states in order to ensure the protection of national minorities. The parties to the Framework Convention must promote the full and effective equality of persons belonging to the minority in all spheres of economics, social, political, public and cultural life. In other words, they have to be able to express, maintain and develop the culture, religion, language and tradition. The Convention also provides guidelines for the language right and freedom in education. Unfortunately, to date, not all European countries have signed it, and those who signed it have not necessarily ratified it. Let's talk about the present now. Considering that we discussed the existing standards, what we should look into is the reality of the situation. You mentioned that not all states are signatories, and that not all respect the laws that are in place. What does that mean? Are minorities actually being protected? Unfortunately, no. Not at all. As I mentioned earlier, it is very common for government to find scapegoats in time of crisis. As far as I'm concerned, the biggest crisis that the European Union will have to face is that of the rise of populist parties and, with them, rise of Euroscepticism. Due to the recent economic hardships, the so-called migrant crisis, or, depending on the country, the management of the pandemic, populist parties are increasingly attractive. The population, in reaction to all this successive crisis, feels the need to withdraw into itself and to protect its economy, and has a tendency to forget the values of solidarity of the European Union. The threat is all more present, as Brexit has already established a precedent. At the moment, the crux of the problem is mainly found in Poland and Hungary. Hit by all the European crises, the population felt the need to reattach themselves to more traditional values, and the government made a rightward shift. The LGBT community have seen their rights drastically decreasing in the last 5 to 10 years. Laws forbidding the representation of homosexuality for children under 18 years old, banning gay couples from getting married or having access to adoption have been implemented. Also, the normalization of Roma discrimination has also limited their access to education and healthcare. This last fault is also not a new issue, as you'll hear soon in one of our upcoming episodes, so stay tuned, guys. Regarding the non-signatories of the Framework Convention, to be fair, only two countries are concerned, Turkey and France. In Nicolas Sarkozy's words, uh, there are no minorities in France, which we can translate into minority communities should be fully assimilated, completely leaving the culture behind and becoming even more French than the natives. In 2005, some laws were implemented in forbidding conspicuous religious symbols in public schools, so young girls are not allowed to wear their headscarves at school if they want to, for instance. 
This is really concerning, especially since France is set to take the European presidency next year. So we can really wonder what would be its position on what is currently happening in Poland and Hungary. But let's observe this issue from another perspective. What is the position of the EU when it comes to its member states openly discriminating minorities and specific groups? Well, the European Union is unfortunately at an impasse now. As you probably know, all member states have their own sovereignty, so the EU cannot order them to withdraw a law. However, it could put a financial pressure on them, which is what is currently happening. But other than that, it can't do more. If Hungary and Poland refuse to give in, there will only be two possibilities left for the EU, either accepting the situation or forcing this country to leave the EU for non-compliance. In both cases, targeting minorities remain in danger. So what this situation is showing us is that no convention or treaty can guarantee the long-lasting protection of minorities, where there is either no willingness from the state or deep enough cultural divides. But as we will address in future episodes, it is important to say that some European countries are finally facing their past and are working to give reparation to the minorities. Pauline, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. This is all for today's episode. If you want to see more of our content, check out the EST website. Yes, thank you for listening. To let us know about something you would like to hear on this podcast, drop us an email at podcast at esthinktank.com. See you next week.